I'm Kane Winstead. And I'm Matthew Derrigish. And you're listening to the Untold Talks of Spider-Man, where we'll be taking a look at the deep cuts and forgotten stories of the Spider-Man library, looking for lost gems and what it truly means to be a Spider-Man story. Matt, why don't you tell our dear listeners what we're list- or what we are talking about today? Today, we are talking about the sort of story that you can only do on a podcast once every hundred years. We're talking about Century Spider-Man that came That's out. That's an awful pun. <laughs> I'm going to stop you right here. That was a terrible pun. You, <laughs> Why would you do that? We like our listeners. <laughs> so this came out in December of 2000, written by Paul Jenkins, pencils by Rick Leonardi, inks by Terry Austin, and colors by Jeremy Cox. Uh, this entire miniseries, and is it's also tied, well, it's tied to a miniseries, it's also a series of one-shots, but it's all collected on Marvel Unlimited and Comixology. Physically, this is available for roughly $2, that being just the issue we're talking about today, which is Century Spider-Man. And um, there are copies floating around. If you want the whole story... We suggest going the digital route. If you want trades, um, those exist as well. But Century Number One by itself goes for roughly seventy-five dollars, whereas a trade goes for around fifteen. So do your math. <laughs> yeah, like like Matt said, we're only talking about Century Spider-Man today, right now, or that's going to be the focus of the conversation. But Century Spider-Man exists kind of as. A one-shot kind of as a continuation of this Sentry mini that introduced the character. Um, Basically, Sentry Spider-Man is a one-shot story in what was Paul Jenkins' larger Sentry miniseries. Uh, The first five issues of the miniseries led straight into any one of four side stories, all of them released the same month. So you had Sentry X-Men, Sentry Spider-Man, Sentry Hulk, and Century Fantastic Four. And then all of these side stories then led directly into one last one-shot, Century the Void, which finished out the story. Um, so, like, <laughs> each one of these team-up one-shots showcased its co-starring hero remembering an adventure they had with the Sentry. Uh, Spider-Man Century is about how the Sentry kind of mentored a freshly bitten Peter Parker Spider-Man, and then a later team-up that... Uh, they have with a more experienced spider-man so if you didn't follow that the way the story flows is you have sentry is introduced in century number one and then his story leads up to century five then century five immediately leads into any one of century x-men century spider-man century hulk or century fantastic four and then all any one of those stories can then lead into century the void Essentially, number five ends with all of the heroes in New York standing at the Statue of Liberty watching the void come across uh, the Hudson River Bay. And uh, and then each one of them has a flashback to a memory. So they don't build off of each other. It's not like a sequential thing between these one shots. Um, but I hope I have not over explained that at this point. So, you know, it's it's not necessary to read all of those to understand the story you really you don't even have to read um the miniseries to understand these one shots you just kind of have to understand the century as a character 
which since Bendis introduced him into New Avengers, he he you know he's in the main continuity, so it's he's not he's not a completely off the wall character anymore. Right. I I want to dive in on what you're just talking about because the narrative structure of this century story is interesting in and of itself because this miniseries so much is t- is talking about memory and remembrance and the power of that. And so the miniseries just kind of goes through a narrative and kind of picks out different pieces and it's different characters remembering the century. The conceit being that Stanley and Jack Kirby created a Superman analog, basically. And that was part of the Marvel Universe, but he was forcibly forgotten to save us from the void that was connected to the century, his true polar opposite. And the miniseries kind of steps through that in our modern day 2000 comics. But in that, you're flashing back to early Marvel, and then each one of these tie-ins, like Spider-Man Century, is playing up that relationship between the Century and the given character. So we're really diving in on just the Spider-Man one in particular, but it exists in this narrative construct that's unlike anything else I've seen before. Right, like again, like I hope we're not over-explaining this, but it is unique to how Marvel typically tells stories. Uh, You know, normally you have these one shots are completely ancillary to whatever they're tying into instead of, you know, any one of them being interchangeably the link between, you know, the main story and its conclusion. Um, I, you know, these these minis sold decently, so I I guess it worked well. Um, I believe Spider-Man Century was around like 50th. I want to say out of out of the top two hundred, uh, I think I think it sold around around like forty thousand issues. So anyway, um, before we jump in, uh, was there anything else you wanted to add about this mini? Um, I, I guess we've already touched on that, haven't we? We have. I I do want to touch on um, if you're looking at rereading some of this this early century stuff, kind of the part we outlined before. I think is totally worth going to check out just because it's such a unique take on a way of narratively telling comics almost morrison-esque and what comes later what you might know the century from with bendis's new avengers or the volume two stuff that was followed up with jared jared but written by jenkins or what just came out in volume three which i can't speak to because i haven't read it but i imagine those are a lot more straightly told stories with a lot more punching the this initial chunk was really defined by the way the story is told more so than the story itself being told and was just engaging in a different way right and then i believe by the time this episode goes live uh the newest volume of century by jeff lemire will be out so uh yeah the first issue came out this week so oh okay well there you go so yeah so by the time this goes live the second issue might be might be out but (laughs) anyway uh, I, I feel like that that's enough enough lead up. So the story, like like I like I had mentioned earlier, the story kind of opens out with all the heroes standing on Ellis Island, looking over, watching the void make its way toward New York, and Spider Man thinking back to I, I guess would be the first time he met met the Sentry, which uh, yeah right. we, yeah we, which which. It's it's a little strange the way the way it's set up because you have this flashback 
but right before the flashback at the bottom corner of the page you have a flashback to a section that <laughs> it's a flashback in a flashback yeah it's a flashback Timeline gets muddled yeah it's a flashback within a flashback it's it's weird um but anyway so the initial flashback brings us to sentry chasing doc ock after i think robbing a bank or or something um and then sentry reveals that he knows peter parker's name and basically calls him a menace but he has potential yeah but he he wants to kind of tutor him along this is but this is alluding to its back in the very early days when they were kind of playing that is could spider-man become a villain is he going to be a good guy more of a loose cannon which is what they're it's something they angled at early on but never really truly explored i don't think more more so than jameson labeling him a menace and him having to deal with it all the time Right, right. I mean, I, I I feel like later, much later, we see a little bit of that and stuff like, uh, oh, that what if when um, that spent spun out of Spider-Man versus Wolverine, where like Spider-Man becomes like the ultimate assassin, and then you also get things like you know Superior or just this most recent arc in Spectacular, where you know Spider-Man becomes kind of like a corporate stooge that ignores all the terrible things around him but anyway um so after this after this kind of meeting with the sentry you see peter parker going to high school and kind of like the admiration that all of his students have of the sentry and that that's kind of a of the common theme between all of these minis is the adoration of the public of the century like the hulk one is about the century becoming friends with the hulk and teaching people to love the hulk and the hulk becomes accepted um you know the fantastic four one is about his friendship with the fantastic four and his partnership with reed richards and how he helps him out in the lab and he's kind of like an intellectual equal um but that that's really kind of the meat and potatoes of this story is not necessarily Spider-Man, but Sentry's relationship to the Spider-Man, like, and how Sentry inserted into the Spider-Man past kind of changes and affects the character. So you'll like, there's a scene where Aunt May is reading the newspaper and comments that, oh, you know, oh, that, that nasty Spider-Man, he's nothing like this this golden boy sentry and then i think like peter mentions that aunt may has like some sort of like celebrity crush on him or whatnot um right i guess that's interesting in relation to all these other ones like the sentry has this very friendly relationship with the hulk where the hulk just kind of likes him because they're both strong men and whatnot and then the sentry is very tightly tied to reed richards and they're the best of friends but when it comes to spider-man it's more about the public appearance and it's more about the media connection more than Spider-Man being a hero, which I found less than engaging. Right. Uh, you know, not not to jump ahead, but I would definitely say that this is the lesser of the uh, the four minis, uh, purely because of that reason. Um, you know, it's less about the, the two characters' interpersonal uh, connection and more about this weird wish fulfillment, maybe? Um, because... Eventually, what happens is that, you know, the Sentry has never, 
allowed someone to take his picture or you can't get a picture of him because of his like blinding radiance it's not entirely clear which one is which but after a team up where they fight the void and kingpin um sentry allows peter to take a picture of him which is where that original flashback at the very beginning of the story comes from and this picture then leads to peter getting a pulitzer which is funny because he Peter Parker dreamed of winning a Pulitzer in uh, Amazing Spider-Man 246, that like wish fulfillment um, issue. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but the front cover is J. Jonah Jameson chomping a, c- a cigar, wearing a tracksuit, and just like punching out Spider-Man. It's one of my favorite covers ever. It it always always gives me a laugh whenever I see it, but. Um, yeah, so and so Spider-Man gets Peter Parker gets a Pulitzer Prize and they pointedly mention that although Jonah tries to wrestle away the merchandising rights to this image, Peter keeps them and gets an insane amount of money through like action figures, magazine uh, you know, covers using this picture, lunch boxes, you know, the the typical merchandising thing. Uh Matt, how did you feel about this particular turn? It doesn't make any sense. So, tying back a little more to the money to what you were saying before though, what's funny to me is a lot of ways when Spider-Man originally came up he was kind of the anti-Superman, not the Batman way, but, you know, he was younger, so he wasn't a sidekick, though, he's his own hero, but he was younger. He got sick, he had problems, you know, all this stuff you've heard said about Spider-Man a million times. But if you think about that, Spider-Man would want to be Superman, you know? He, he'd want to have the public adoration, he'd want to have his secret identity have the positive relationship with his publisher. He'd want... <laughs> You know, to have these powers and not have to worry about these things. And what's funny to me is the Sentry comes in and he starts chiding Spider-Man for talking too much during the fight and not just focusing on the job at hand or whatnot. And it's funny to me because the Sentry is basically Superman, but he's also much more of a jerk than Superman. And I guess that's kind of the concession to make him a different character or fit him into the Marvel Universe, however you want to look at that, though there's a ton of Superman-like characters floating around the Marvel Universe. Uh, And that idea that, yeah, just getting the image of him is so valuable that it makes Peter Parker independently wealthy, basically, is so weird. And then the fact that he could forget that he has all that money is weird. Okay, yeah, that's... That's where the, the story really goes off the rails. So, like, as as you guys might remember when we covered Marvel Knights Spider-Man, um, this, this story, this century story, is another Marvel Knights title. And so these weren't necessarily supposed to be in continuity. They were supposed to be continuity light so that you might not necessarily con- like wildly contradict something that's going on in the story, but your stories don't have to worry about fitting into the continuity themselves. So, you know, when you're reading this in 2000, it's fine. You can just kind of write this off as like, oh, well, this might not necessarily be like an in-continuity story, so there aren't too many like serious hiccups about Spider-Man suddenly realizing that he has all this money. But the the century century void mini or i'm sorry one shot that closes out this 
has everyone forget that the century exists again, which means Peter forgets that he has all this money again, which means technically in the 616, because Sentry was then brought into, you know, the 616 via New Avengers and Bendis, there's like some sort of bank account that Spider that Peter Parker doesn't know that he has, that has like millions of dollars. <laughs> and so like, it just means that like, he's a sitting like ticking time bomb for the IRS to audit him. <laughs> like, like what's going to happen then? Like, uh, <laughs> um, so that means like me personally, I, I'd like to believe that in amazing 500, when he's running from the cops, he's actually running from the IRS for tax evasion, uh, for all this, all this money that he has back taxes on uh, and interest. Um, so, you know, uh, that's just, I mean, that, that's being a little nitpicky, but at the same time, when you do things like kind of like bring characters over that might not necessarily have been thought of to, or thought out so that they fit neatly into this continuing story that you've been telling since the 60s, this is what happens. Yeah, I mean, it is nitpicky, and I mean, it's clear that, like, that's off to the side, whereas we're supposed to focus on the relation between these characters, but when you make an important part of the relation between these characters, the mere fact his ability to take a picture because he allowed it makes Peter rich. Like, that suddenly becomes part of the relationship, and suddenly there's a financial element, and to just kind of brush it aside completely in the story without addressing it does feel like a misstep when you put that much weight on it right i mean like this this was this came out in 2000 so this was probably like one of the lowest points for peter parker in his life i mean like he his he and his wife were estranged um you know he just had just gotten out of this whole clone business um this is right this is before jms picks up the title i believe or this might have been actually i think i I can't remember exactly when jms started if he started at the beginning of he's i mean basically halfway through 2000 so this would have been somewhere around when he was picking it up right so this would have been like right around the time he becomes a school teacher and everything right before he gets uh reunited with mary jane because this pointedly mentions in the, the prologue that his wife isn't around so like, so I, I can see that what they're trying to do is, you know, without the century, Peter Parker's life is, you know, a bottomless pit of depression. And with the century, it's untold riches and happiness and fulfillment where he can provide for his family and everything. But that's never, ever addressed again. <laughs> and and it's not addressed directly in the story. Uh, you never have like any sort of affirmation from Peter or from the century that this this relationship enabled peter to kind of get out of that constant spiral that he's always in right but uh, you you go oh and i mean the story basically ends there at least our issue right like this it seems like almost half of a story um because and in some ways it is because the next half is the century finding the void and ultimately this is a century story not a spider-man story but it's just (sighs) I mean, what else is there to say other than it was it was interesting to kind of see how this Superman-esque figure could fix Peter Parker's life. But it's didn't like the actions of 
it, it was it was the actions of circumstance rather than the the direct actions of either these two characters that led to the change so it ends up reading as kind of a dissatisfactory story where you don't really know what to take away from it because uh, I don't... yeah no it's an it's an oddity this comic is definitely an oddity but again this is like pulling a piece out of the puzzle and analyzing it and so we're not going to get a whole thing but we're analyzing one aspect of it a lot of it is based around this medium perception that peter parker ties to the century and so by telling peter parker's story we get more of the century story and that was kind of the point of this one shot which makes it read better than i think if you had just read this issue completely on its own without any context you do need the context to kind of get message of this issue right and i guess that's the the only issue with that is that this was sold as a one shot like i mean clearly with you know looking at the title and you know when it was being published yeah it would be obvious that it ties into the century but when you see a like you know demarcation that this is a one shot the, the understanding is that this should tell a complete story on its own and i feel like ultimately this doesn't tell a complete story on its own you get the the you know the kind of the rising action and the the climax of the story which is this pulitzer but you never get the the fall you never get the the conclusion or or the the third act uh, or even the second act. I mean, you could you could argue that this is this establishes you know what happens. Peter Parker gets this this Pulitzer, but you never see how this changes his life. You never see how this changes their relationship. Um, and I mean, again, you're not supposed to because this is a cent- essentially a century story, not a Spider-Man story. But when it's sold as a one shot and when it's called Century Spider-Man, I I, I want a more more synergy between the two characters and the two stories i mean i see what you're saying but uh, let's say this was part you know five of ten kind of is and that this is only part of the story you know if this was you know three of six whatever that we're used to like would that kind of loosen some of what you're saying oh yeah for sure i mean for one on one hand we wouldn't be talking about it on the show because like (laughs) It'd be clearly, clearly a century story. But by the very fact that it's called Spider-Man Century, you know, it makes it sound like a Spider-Man story. And that's what we do on this show is we we try to find weird off the wall Spider-Man stories and talk about them. Um, Okay, so we're already here. So I feel like we should move into the fact that this doesn't really feel like a Spider-Man story to you. Right. Okay, I... How do I say this? I mean, yeah, this is on the century, but this is the century and Spider-Man in relation to all those other minis. We get to see an aspect of Spider-Man, whereas I found it odd that like, because to me, Spider-Man is like the hero of the Marvel Universe more so than any other character. And to focus kind of on him coming up and him being the media personality was interesting but i also realized that was the only character that they could do that with and that they could focus on the heroism with basically literally anyone in those other different aspects but the things that they had to do that were more out there and more unique had to be spider-man and so to me it kind of showed a little more of where spider-man fits in the marvel universe in comparison to like the hulk um mr fantastic and it says x-men but it's really just angel right um and just kind of it's a different focus which 
I appreciate it. So, the next question we have to ask is, should this comic be reissued or untold? I mean, as a Spider-Man comic, I would say untold. And then as as a entry into this into this story arc, I would say that if you feel super compelled to read all of these one shots, then sure, go ahead and read this one. But if you only want to read one of those one shots, like if if you said, like, I had to get rid of one of these one shots for this century story, this would be the one I got rid of. So I'm told on both counts, honestly. Okay, I'd go the other way and say retold. I was so kind of enamored with the oddity of this issue and how it kind of came together that I'm willing to look past some of the faults and say I got something out of this that I haven't gotten out of another Spider-Man comic Mm -hmm. or Spider-Man adjacent comic. Right. And so, yeah, I think so. So to that, that leads to our bigger question is where would you put this on our web of rankings? Uh... Just just to narrow the focus, I think I'm I'm looking toward the bottom. Where? How about you? Um. Well, in my mind, I wanted to start by placing it against the last one that we talked about, which was the final adventure, because that too was something of an oddity. Right. Um. Where did we end up putting and that one? We put that at let's see here fourth. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um. Okay. So, I, I you know. I don't, again, like, this one didn't feel like a complete story to me, which is why I was looking toward the bottom of the list, because that's typically where I've been placing the fundamentally flawed uh, stories, be it, you know, Cosmic Carnage, which I felt like didn't really give me enough Cosmic Carnage, you know, the the one thing, or, you know, Trouble, which for romance comic neglected to really establish its characters strong enough to make make one care about those characters uh i I feel like like those two stories this one neglected to really deliver the synergy between or not the synergy but the um fusion of a century story and a spider-man story to really sell you know century spider-man like i mean again thinking back to the hulk story like every hulk story eventually boils down to hulk wants to be left alone um you know i can say i can say things like that because this isn't a hulk story so i'm not gonna or a hulk podcast so i'm not gonna have people phoning in yellow anyway uh every hulk story boils down to hulk is a monster and the the century the century hulk mini or one shot rather is about the century bringing the monster out and curing the monster of the Hulk and reintegrating him into society. We don't see in this one, like we don't see the Spider-Man version of that. We don't see, you know, the century fixing, like, like fixing Spider-Man's image. We don't see him mentoring like continuing to mentor a young peter parker so he doesn't make mistakes like you know we don't see him saving gwen we don't see him saving uncle ben well i mean he couldn't save uncle ben but like i guess he could because he was spider-man before uncle ben died um so i like not to compare this you know to judge the story by comparing it to another but that's exactly what i'm doing is you know this one just didn't deliver the same way these other one shots did in showing how one character superhero persona 
is radically altered by the the introduction of the century. Okay, I hear what you're saying in relation to the other century one shots, but what about the books on the list? What are, what are you looking at? But I mean, I'm still looking at the bottom, like you know, comparing the, this to some of the, the the ones that just aren't told very well. Uh, I would probably put this ab- above uh, Cosmic Carnage. Um, and then, but below, oh, what, what's the one above Cosmic Carnage? That's Marvel Knights. Huh. I'd probably put this one above Marvel Knights. I think that's where I would ultimately end up with this one above Marvel Knights. Um, well, the one above Marvel Knights is our web of Spider-Man 8 and 9. Yeah, and I would put this below 8 and 9. So yeah, I would put this between... Uh, web of eight and nine and marvel knights above marvel knights just because again like this this is a like it it's a clean cleanly told story it's not filled with superfluous aspects like marvel knights was uh it's not overly turgid it's it's the opposite it's it's too terse it there's not enough okay you know, going on I hear but and what you're mm-hmm. saying but a lot of what you're saying and this is something that i I'm hesitant to do, but I kind of want to do, even though it opens up a can of worms. Everything you said makes a sense, and I agree with you more or less with the placement. The only thing that bothers me is I'm looking at the final adventure, Mm -hmm. which in my mind, it doesn't touch on the incompleteness like you're talking about, but kind of that doesn't really fit or work, and that was more because of some of the editorial as we talked about in that episode. But a lot of the negative misgivings you have about this, I feel I share with the Final Adventure. But we have Final Adventure at 4, and we'd be putting this in at um, 10. Well, I mean, the reason I liked the Final Adventure and the the reason why I thought it was a stronger story was because it did manage to do what it set out to do. And that was, to me, tell a satisfactory ending to what was a... 35 year story at that point you know not necessarily on a like action-packed perhaps uh aspect but from a a thematic uh standpoint it was able to close out the story and i felt like it, it accomplished what it was set out to do and what it set out to do was extremely ambitious so that that's that's why i gave it a high praise this one What this is trying to do is incredibly ambitious, too. It's trying to insert a relationship between two characters that dates back to their history, whereas one character didn't actually exist for decades of continuity. Right. And, like, again, this is something you could say about the final final adventure or whatever, but ultimately that connection between Sentry and Spider-Man doesn't amount for anything because, you know, we immediately re-forget the Sentry and then we have him introduced into the uh, main continuity again, and none of this is ever addressed again. Like, this is, well, is completely... You're putting sw- too much weight on whatever Bendis did that has nothing to do with this story. Absolutely nothing. You're, you're taking meta-commentary that doesn't relate. Like, Well, but e- even still, like, this, this Pulitzer thing is huge, and it gets completely just swept under the rug and ignored completely. Yeah, that is definitely the weakest part of this comic. Whereas the weakest part of the final adventure is basically the villain, which is more or less the thrust of most of it. Mm. And they have their time, they play it out, but it doesn't end up being any stronger, I don't think. Whereas I think this is stronger to move past its flub and not pay it a lot of time, but to focus on the heart of where the comic is. 
Okay. Well, uh, where where would you where would you place this then? I mean, again, like I more or less agree with your placement in relation mm-hmm. to the other comics, but with the final adventure being there, I want to put this above the final adventure because I think it's better than the final adventure by every measurable standard. Well, I'm definitely not. I mean, uh, this definitely doesn't deserve to be our number three story, I, I wouldn't say. I agree. Um, That's why I'm saying, like, I think we need to move the final adventure, because it's throwing off my ability to gauge anything on this list. <laughs> it's basically what I'm getting at. Okay, well, uh, I, I guess I guess we can do that, because uh, I'm, I'm definitely, I think, cooling off on final adventure a little bit, like... Uh, when we double check this to see, you know, where the listing was, I definitely thought, why did we put that up at number four? Um, I, I'm gonna, I would, okay, I'd put it above eight and nine. Well, I'm sorry, Web of Spider-Man eight and nine. Um, Final Adventure. Yeah. yeah, I'm fine with that. I just wouldn't put Final Adventure above like Spectacular two fifteen and sixteen in particular. Okay, yeah, that's that's fair. And so. How about this? How about we put the final adventure above and then we put Spider-Man Century under and then we figure out what that goes directly under. Well, no, I, I thought I thought we were going to be going web of eight and nine um, final adventure century yeah. Marvel Knights. Yeah, that fits what I was trying to say. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Important. There we go. OK, perfect. All right. Well, I guess I guess that's it for the, the web of ranking. Um before we jump into the thanks and everything, you know, everyone's favorite section of the show, we do have a little news. Um, for the past few episodes, Matt and I have been more or less picking at random from a massive list of stories we want to talk about and trying our best to make sure that we give uh, a diverse line of content without putting too much emphasis on uh, a particular writer or a particular era. However, we've come to realize that's led to a little bit of a whiplash tonally, uh, you know, jumping from the 90s to trouble to a psychologically complex seven part story to a campy mystery. I mean, you guys get the idea. So what we've decided to do instead is move toward a more like block schedule. Uh, So what we'll be doing is we will be doing like a theme kind of like how I've, we've been teasing about a slingers month uh we'll be doing uh themed blocks of stories so the first one we're going to be doing is not norman where we're going to be covering uh green goblin stories that do not deal with norman osborne as the green goblin or harry osborne as the green goblin for that matter um so the first one we're going to be doing is actually our first request that we ever received. And that is going to be Amazing Spider-Man number 176 through 180, requested by our listener Eric Myers. And that is going to be covering the Bart Hamilton Green Goblin the Third. Uh, after that, we will be doing... Amazing Spider-Man Volume 2, Number 18, and Peter Parker, Spider-Man, Number 18, Death of the Goblin Construct, which was a Green Goblin biological construct uh, made by Norman Osborn to kind of throw, throw, the, uh, throw the perception that he was the Green Goblin off, off of his trail. And then we're going to finish out the block with Thunderbolts 
uh, volume one issues 128 and 129. So that's going to be the next three shows. So the, the other advantage of this block format is that we're going to be announcing all the issues in the block it, at one time. So for those of you who like to uh, follow along with us and either, you know, pull from your backlogs or go out hunting for the issues, that gives you guys a little bit more time to, to find these things so that you can listen along as we release. Um, Matt, did you have anything you wanted to add? Yeah, a genetic construct. Would you refer to that as a clone? Um, clone is a dirty word, so... <laughs> um, no. It's clearly a genetic construct. Uh, this was made by Dr. Angst. <laughs> uh, not the Jackal. Uh, great name. You know exactly what time frame this, this thing came out of. But... The 80s. <laughs> what? No. Nope. Uh... <laughs> Anyway, uh, thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, if you haven't, please feel free to subscribe and leave a review for the show. Um, if you've already done that, please consider sharing the show with someone you think that might enjoy it. All of these things help our show grow. And if you can't get enough of us, please consider joining the amazing Spider Talk Patreon. The $3.99 a month donation tier gets you exclusive access to the untold talks of Spider-Man B-title reviews. Those are current B-title reviews as the month goes on. Uh, also available is the Amazing Spider-Talks, Amazing Spider-Man reviews, as well as access to the members-only section of our Slack channel, the Amazing Spider-Slack. Uh, for those with an appreciative eye to the arts, we have a second tier, the Excelsior Club, which is a $10 a month donation and nabs you commissioned artwork twice a year from Spider-Man artists you know and love, in addition to the rewards from the previous tier, obviously. Uh, want to give a special thanks to the Ellie Badge for providing our theme song, and if you want to listen to them, uh, you can always find them on SoundCloud or Spotify, or you can just check out the show notes for links for all that stuff. Uh, before we close out, Matt, where can we find you on the internet this week? This week, you can find me on Twitter at MagicalMatt42, where I talk about all kinds of comic goodness. How about you, Kane? Well, where are you on? <laughs> well, you can find me on, of course, Twitter under at KaneWrites. You can also follow the show on Untold Talks of Spider-Man at facebook or untold talks spmn on twitter you can also email the show untold talks of spider-man at gmail.com you can also find us on facebook i already said facebook well that's <laughs> and until matt and i win a pulitzer for best podcast and get untold riches that we then almost immediately forget about make mine untold also have until we're threatened by tentacles in a very menacing fashion make mine untold <laughs> <laughs> uh.